All right, welcome back for more, as Stephen Piercy would say. Stephen Piercy, the only sponsor of Inappropriate Earl with Stephen Piercy's Mike Knuckles. You know, if you want to look cool while you're bombing at an open mic comics, I suggest you go on Twitter and send at M-I-C Knuckles. I'm assuming you can spell Knuckles. And uh, order a pair. It's only 50 bucks, man. Come on. Support the guy who su- supported you with the soundtrack to your life. And then talking about comics over 40. Uh, we've had some great podcasts lately. The great John Philbin, Turtle from North Shore, uh, reenacting his famous scene toward the end. Check that out. Uh, Jeremy Paul, great comic, good friend of mine. But today is uh, a guy who uh, I tried almost longer than uh, Stephen Piercy to get on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> one of my dear friends in comedy. He was one of the few people I would talk to if I quit comedy, which may happen. <laughs> Put your uh, dirty, non-tax-paying, greasy fingers together for the one the only, Josh Adam Myers. Thank you very much. This has taken us a long time to get this on, baby. Uh, you have a great podcast voice. <laughs> it's 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 creepy. I mean, no, no, it's great. That this uh, whole podcast is about creepiness. <laughs> Perfect. And I'm in the right place, baby. Now, usually I sit in the captain's chair over there, but I recently did a podcast with Jeremy Paul uh, about uh, an hour and a half. It was really great. You know, talk about L.A. comedy. And then I looked over at the recorder, and I forgot to hit uh, record. So uh, I'm a little paranoid right now of uh, that happening again. We are live. Dude, I don't even remember where we met. I've known you for so long. I think I met you at the comedy store. I remember when I first started going around there, you would show up around 12.45, 1 a.m. Uh, with your curly hair and a hockey jersey. <laughs> all all chest, by the way, too. You you were, you had those like those shoulders <laughs> like you hadn't done lats in a while. And I, and I was just like, who is this guy? But then I saw you go up. And I think it was the same thing. There's certain people that I built friendships with strictly on like one joke. Like I hear them do one joke and I'm like, I want to become friends with this guy. And I think you did the bit. I think it was about Universal Soldier. How they made two part two of them. Or what is it? Two number twos. Yeah. (laughs) The second one they made with like, I don't know, Jeff Speakman uh, was so bad. They made another instead of making a three. They just made another number two to throw you off the scent. Of the, I mean, it's crazy. And so, they, I remember you talking about that, and then and then after that, it was on. It's just also like you know, there's certain people that you you meet and you hear them talk about music, or you walk into a conversation and and you you know you're like, oh, all right, well, this person did the same shit that I'm into. So and then you click, and then yeah. it's just been off to the races. I mean, we're both music fans. I mean, uh, you like I think better music than I do. I, I think that it's just a, like we were talking about age. I'm 35. You're a little bit older, but I'm a lot older, but not not really. Not a real. I wouldn't call that a lot. What I would call a lot is like 20, 30 years. You're 10 years older than me. But like I came in at the tail end of the music you were growing up on. <laughs> but I still I still love it like that. Like the, the hair metal. Like I grew up. I remember the first band I ever got into was Iron Maiden. And then it was like Motley Crue and then Guns N' Roses and then Poison and all the other hair metal bands. And then, but but not luckily, I was going to say, but luckily the the grunge came in and then I just kind of took that era. And so as you're living in the hair, hair metal band era constantly, oh. I'm living in the grunge era. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, sure. I'm still, like, somebody actually said this to me the other night. I was doing the improv, and I was making fun of hipsters, and she she was like, you know, you seem like, you know, well, you're kind of wearing a hipster outfit, just like jeans and a t-shirt. And I'm like, no, 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 I've been wearing, with a flannel. I was like, no, 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 this is what I've been wearing since I was, like, in eighth grade. You right. know what I mean? I've been rocking the same fucking outfits. Like, you know, I've been, I'm stuck, you know, in that Soundgarden era. So that's where I'm at. That's a... You know, it's funny. Most of those bands were hair metal fans. They won't admit it, you know, but they all had Poison and Rat and Quiet Riot records. And then, you know, they probably saw how ridiculous some of those bands looked toward the tail end. Oh, it did get... Dude, I, I thought the first time I saw Poison in, like, Metal Edge, like, I think I jerked off to them because I had no idea that they were they were men. And I was like, oh, who the fuck are these? I was like, these chicks are hot. And then it's like, oh, they're fuck. Oh, you mean this isn't Vixen? I was like, Vixen, I can jerk off to. Poison, you can't. I mean, if you look at the album cover for Look What the Cat Dragged In, uh, not so much Bobby Doll or CC, but Brett Michaels, I'm straight, man. Straight as a fucking pole. But Brett Michaels a fucking good-looking dude. Very good-looking back then. Or a chick. I mean... <laughs> Plump lips, you know, look like he had big tits. I mean, you know, and, uh, you know, I've certainly fucked worse. <laughs> well, they, I mean, that's kind of what brought, I think, the implosion of, they killed themselves by getting so ridiculous and just, like, too glam, too yeah. effeminate. I mean, and that was why when Guns N' Roses came out, they were like, oh, yeah, you can be a dude and still play this music because that's what happened in the 70s. And then it, somehow towards the end of the 70s, everybody started... Started wearing garter belts and, you know. Well, I think just... like Alice Cooper, the New York Dolls, and then, you know, Kiss took it to like times 100. Uh, you know, I mean, they were like, let's look like Alice Cooper, but let's do it 100 times. Amplified. Sure. Sure, dude. And that's like, you know, uh, you're right. I mean, those bands, Poison and Rat and Cinderella had like copycat bands. Mm -hmm. And then the copycat bands had copycat bands. I mean, there's Cinderella, Britney Fox, and then like Sleaze Bees was copying. <laughs> Sleaze Bees? Yeah. When it was spelled S-L-E-A-Z-B-E-Z. -E -E <laughs> I mean, it was like, we might be shitty musicians, but we're going to have a catchy you know, band name misspelled. You were out here for all of that, right? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, it was. Were just... you in it? Like, were you walking around like I was the walking Sunset around. Strip and, and like seeing all the debauchery and... And even either being a part of it or looking at it from afar. It's really hard to explain to people who weren't there. Like, because there's no, nothing that uh, has that vibe today. I mean, Sunset from like, I would say Doheny to uh, probably the Laugh Factory was just an ant farm of horny people. I mean, just chicks, uh, just one prettier than the next. Uh, guys looking like chicks and just bands passing out flyers because there was no internet. You know, so if you had to promote, you know, your show, you had to hit you had the streets. You had to be out there, yeah. You know, and they would... Uh, you had to Michael Q that shit, dude. Yeah, you had to be I mean, out there. <laughs> thank God there was no internet uh, for Poison. They would be spamming Facebook and, <laughs> you know. And Michael Q, uh, for those of you wondering who that is, uh, probably going Michael Who. Uh, let's just say he uh, promotes, along with other uh, promoters, shows where... Uh, not necessarily based on talent, comedy shows. 
Literally, if you can bring 10 people and you've never done comedy before. You're playing the biggest room in yeah, L.A. Praying the comedy <laughs> store. Like, I worked my ass off for 15 fucking years in the jungles. Playing the worst rooms. Strip clubs. Josh has as well. Yes. Uh, and, I'm still playing those rooms, for yeah. Christ's sake. Yeah, but you've got the hottest show in town right now. Uh, it is, dude. Don't be fucking uh, bashful about listen, it. I, 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 uh, I'm. It, yeah, yes, it's a lot of fun, and I love the show more than anything in in this world. And it, and it's, but it's like it, there's there's a lot of shows that you know, like your show, Rose Battle. Hundred percent. You know, I'm just a bit player on Rose. But Battle. you are you. There are so many moving pieces in Rose Battle that make Rose Battle Rose Battle. Like that that shit is the shit. Um, and then, yeah, but it's, it's, and I also think that the reason why is because it's just because of energy in the room. Like what, what you're creating in roast battle is what we're creating, you know, to, in a different, a different kind of energy, but just, it's just the audience feels a part of it. And when the audience feels a part of a show, then it becomes more than just, you know, something that you'll see at the laugh factor or even the comedy store in the, at the OR, you know what I mean? It's. People want to be involved, and I, and I feel that, that the, our two shows are the perfect examples of how you get the audience involved. Tell the people the name of your show. I have a show. I do it once a month at the Lyric Theater. It's called The Goddamn Comedy Jam. Um, in the show, uh, the comedians uh, do a stand-up set, and then they tell a story about why they chose the song they're about to perform, and then they sing a cover song with my band, LMNOP. And uh, it's been great since day one, man. We're now, coming up on have... a year anniversary. We're coming up a year in July. July 13th is our year anniversary show. Do they have like a tell it? Like if they don't know the exact word? I mean, like if you said Earl, you could do round and round. I might need to look at a lyric sheet. I mean, do they? They have to have the song fully memorized. You have to, well, all right. So we've had comics that have, that have you know, that are like super anal about it and learn every word and, and do it exactly like, you know, the, the record. Uh, and then we have people like Swartzons come in. And he did Unbelievable by EMF. You know what I mean? Right. Which is a great song, super funny. Uh, and he made it his own version because like, he really didn't know the words. So he just went, but nobody gives a shit. Nobody really cares. Like That's the thing is that the audience really does not give a fuck if they know all the words. It's almost better if they fuck up a little bit. Like It's either, it's either, it's either have, just as long as they're having fun. You know what I mean? If the, if the comics are having fun and they're committing to it, then it doesn't make a difference if they know the words or not. Like, perfect example, and this is the moment that I knew the show was going to work because uh, with the show, and I still have these moments, Earl, where I go, where I go, comics singing songs? This is the gayest shit I've ever heard. Why did I start this? Oh, my God, what the fuck am I doing? This is so retarded. Like, this is what I'm going to be remembered as. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, it's it's actually, it's not that bad. It's actually, people really love it. And I'm like, oh, because that's that that dichotomy that's going on in my brain of just, you know, uh, is, am I good, am I bad, blah, blah, blah. But the moment where I knew the show was going to work was on the first show, so Matt Bronger goes up and does uh, Skulls by the Misfits, right? He's the first guy to do it, right? I've already sang two songs. The audience loved it. Um, then Bronger goes up, does his song. I don't. He doesn't get much of a reaction, but the audience is like, okay, you know, they're down. And then Jay Larson goes up, and um, he does his set, kills, does his story, which is great. And then he sang Message in a Bottle by the police. Right. And 
just fucked it up so bad. Like, because at that point we weren't doing rehearsals with the comics. Now I bring the comics in. Oh, you do? Now I bring them in because I don't want to, I want them to, I want them to take it seriously if they want to take it seriously. If they want to put the time in, like the band is willing and I'm willing to, to meet them. We rehearse every Sunday night. So, you know, in the Sundays, the night before the show, so they can come then, they can come the week prior to the show. And then they also can come and rehearse uh, the day of the show at Soundcheck. And uh, Jay didn't do it, but also I didn't offer it. And he was just so bad. But he was like committed and dancing and he was fucking the words up and he was singing the the chorus during the bridge and vice. It was just all over the place. And the audience just loved it, man. Because he was having fun. And at that point, then I was like, okay, then we've got something. And then it's just been, you know, now I'm just, the, the lineups are, you know, I don't really have to ask anymore. I'm just getting the people that I want and... Um, You've had like Bill Burr and like some huge names. Burr's done it four times. Um, and Burr's been, he's one of the main reasons it kind of blew. You know what I mean? He he was like, I, I call him constantly. And, you know, when I talk to him about, hey, do you want to jam? Blah, blah, blah. And when we talk about stuff, I always, anytime I get some kind of new thing from the show, like, you know, we're going to Montreal this year. We're going on tour. Uh, a few other things. We have a TV show in the works. Um like I always call him and I'm like, dude, you know, I owe you everything, man. And he's just like, ah, he's like, the show would have tipped over anyway. He's like, I just kind of nudged it, but it's the truth, man. Like having him on that first show and then having it, then he was, he immediately was like, I want to do the next one. He's like, I, I want to do this any month that I am available. And it's just, he just promotes it on his podcast and it added the credibility to it. And then once you have Burr, you know, it's just like with Jeff being attached to the roast battle, Jeff, Jeff being there every week, then brings on, other huge oh. names that want to judge. I mean, and he knows people and, and vice versa. So, well, it's just, we've been really lucky, man. Like there's, there's a lot of comics that want to do it. And then there's comics that like, that are huge, that are so afraid to do the show. Uh, you know, like I asked Nick Kroll and Nick Kroll's like, there is no way because I am so deathly afraid of singing in public. So it's a tough show to do, but it's, but I'm telling you, man, if you pick the right song, I say this to everybody. It's like, you pick the right song. It's if the crowd knows it and you give everything to it, like it'll be the best show of your life. Like there's nothing, dude, you lit. We have, dude, we have smoke effects, lighting effects. Like it's, it's a full, it's a mini concert. You don't know what you walked out of. It's a mini concert. So that would be my problem. I would pick a song from some <laughs> D level. I would pick like Vinnie Vincent invasion. <laughs> love kills. Yeah. I've got this. Um, I'm going to do a song from Odin's second yeah. album. <laughs> I'm going to do a song uh, from Shark Island called Bad for Each Other, which I wouldn't even have to rehearse. I could. <laughs> that's, that's the funny thing is that I've uh, now, before, for a while, I was letting the comics pick whatever song they want to do. And then we got a couple B-sides and a couple deep album cuts. And then the, the audience uh, wasn't really receptive to it. So now I, when I tell like, you know, when I tell a comedian, I'm like, hey, you're going to do this. Um you know, I don't say what you're going to do this. I don't, I don't steer them towards the song, but I do, you know, if they say I want to do a song by Foo Fighters. Right. I'm like, all right, well, he, these are the ones you probably should do. You know what I mean? Like, these are the ones that I know. I just know what's going to fucking kill. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, if you're going to do a Belle Biv DeVoe song, you do Poison. You don't do, you know, Do Me Baby. Even though Do Me Baby might do well, but Poison is the one that the audience will fucking go apeshit for. Like, would you say an audience would be receptive to an actual Poison song? All right. Let's put the time capsule. Earl, you're bugged. You can choose between Poison and Rat. 
you know, w- would you have songs you would say round and round? I'm assuming. Oh, oh, I'd say round and round, lay it down, and uh, probably that. That's it. Yeah, well, I, I, I. That's only because I do the ones that I know. If I know the song, then the audience is definitely, you know what I mean. Because if I, if I don't know the song, then I don't think the audience is gonna right. know it. And that's what I meant to say because I know so much. Like I don't know every song by a band, but I know most most bands' big songs. Even if they were a one hit wonder, I'm like, oh yeah, you know that's you know how bizarre was OMC or just whatever. So. With with Rat, I do know Round and Round, and I do know Lay It Down because I used to play Lay It Down as Great the song. used to play that as uh, when I bring girls on stage at the strip club to do a showcase to sell a T-shirt. Uh, so I'd be like, "All right, y'all," and it'd be like, "You know, you really want to lay it down right now." <laughs> yeah, I used to play that, so I know that one. <laughs> Poison is definitely either. I well, all right, you got a couple with Poison. Talk you dirty to me. Definitely talk dirty to me. Uh, I mean, you could say, look what the cat dragged in, but no, nothing but a good time, right. definitely. Nothing Which but- really isn't a Poison song. I mean, they made it, uh, it's a cover. Is it? It's like a... Um, nothing but a good time's a cover? Yeah. It's, By I want to say a band from the 60s. No, I could see that, but that really breaks my heart. Well, you know, listen, Quiet Riot's two hits were Slade covers, so... Jesus. Um, you must watch that documentary, by the way, about Quiet Riot. Quiet Riot here and now. It, uh, it oh, it, the one it's it's playing at the the Egyptian, right? Yeah, I mean, you got to give Frankie Benali credit. If you were to said to me a year ago, Earl, there's going to be a Quiet Riot documentary on Netflix on no, I'm sorry, Showtime. I'd be you're fucking nuts, and a two hour one to boot. Uh, I'm like, no one can. I mean, it's just listen, it's over, Johnny. And, <laughs> but uh, God bless Frankie Benali, man. He he got it out there. It's in film festivals. And- I've never see. Here's the thing: is that I am like Quiet Riot is one of those bands for me that just kind of got nudged to the side. Like I remember, like seeing the see. I'd walk into the the record store when I was seven, eight years old, and they'd be like, "What, my, you know, my mom was like, you know, what album do you want me to buy you this week? And it would be like, all right, Joe, do I get this White Lion album? Because I know when the children are hungry, that whatever. Wait. That, yeah, I know that song. Or do I get do I get King's X? Because I saw a music video on 120 Minutes. Or do I get, you know, you know, the fucking Nelson? Because Nelson's big and being played on MTV. Or do I get Wasp or fucking Quiet Riot? Because they were always, adver- I always remember, I'll always remember people, bands like Quiet Riot and Wasp. And like those are the bands that I saw, but I never fucked with. Like they were promoted for me, but I never went up to them. You know what I mean? Well, they just uh, a couple bad decisions. Uh, They were the queens of MTV. I mean, you know, come on, feel the noise, metal health played constantly. Quiet Riot. Yeah, I mean, they really kind of start. You know, they were so big at one point that they were seen as Van Halen's main competition in Los Angeles. People kind of forget that. You know, it was, you know, Randy Rhodes versus Eddie Van Halen. Because Randy Rhodes was in the original. A lot of people don't know that. The original Quiet uh, Riot? He was the original guitar player. And then he left to uh, play in Ozzy. And then, uh, and then he died. But Yeah, and then he... Uh, you know how he died? Plane. But do you know why? Flying to show everybody how he was flying a plane? The fucking pilot... <laughs> Uh, was going through a divorce or something, or his ex-girlfriend was was on the tour and he wanted to buzz her trailer to be like, fuck you. And he buzzed it all right, and then he hit it. Did he kill her? No, he killed himself. No, I know that he wrote. killed himself, but did she go down? No, she didn't get hurt. Did so. it ruin her day at least? Uh, probably not. They were getting divorced, so, uh, you, know, uh, I'm sh- you know. So that's like... 
Just goes to show you how a girl can kill one of the greatest guitar players ever. Oh, so Randy Rose was going through the divorce, or no, no, uh, the pilot was going through uh, oh, some okay. kind of uh, you know uh, trouble with this chick, and he's like said to Randy Rose, "Hey, let's get in this plane and let's buzz her, uh, you know, cabin or whatever, uh, or tour bus." And uh, you know, he wasn't quite the pilot he thought he was. So, you know, I was never see the thing is like I've never really been into Ozzy either. Like I know certain songs by him but it's not like somebody i'd ever put on like i know some black sabbath stuff and like i know no more tears and i know the shit that he did with lita ford but i never i'm telling you like my 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 love for hair metal was solely you know and i don't want to include guns and roses into the hair metal but even though they do they were they were yeah but they they quickly got out of it they run from it they ran from it very quickly but yes i was actually talking to people that knew them at canners on tuesday night and they were they were telling me this story about them um but like i was i was obsessed like obsessed with motley crew motley crew was iron maiden was the band that started it where and it wasn't even based on their music it was just based on Eddie the advertising right. around oh. the the shirts the I thought Eddie I was always into horror stuff so so Eddie was just a perfect example of like oh this is so cool and it's on a shirt and he's a zombie dude you yeah, fuck yeah I'm going to wear it and then I got like you know somewhere in time and I got Power Slave and I got all their albums um and then immediately I mean I think I'm like six years old, seven years old when all this is going on. And then I immediately got into Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue. And and those were like my two favorite bands. And then, and like I said, there would be whatever MTV showed me is what I got into. Right. Does that, you know, I was very susceptible to, to, to MTV's advertising. So if they were like, this is the new band, like slaughter everybody, their new video up all night. Dude, I was obsessed with Slaughter for like a month. And then it all, once it shifted from, from I remember when, when, when they started showing uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Oh, it was over. And then that was it. I remember watching the grunge and I was like, this is really cool. Also, I was growing up in D.C. area. So, you know, there's, there's like more of like a, there's still like a punk rock vibe going on in D.C. And it's just the grunge kind of adapted that. Um, and, and then it was just, I remember, I, I mean, I'm like probably 13 years old and I found Stone Temple Pilots, 13 or 14, I found Stone Temple Pilots and then that was it. Then I was just obsessed with, with grunge and, and, and every other band that, you know, Alice in Chains and, um, I still love like Anthrax. I still listen to Anthrax when I work out. I love Anthrax. Um, but it's just, it's the hair metal. I just missed the end. Oh, such a good end. I know. I, I, dude, I like, I, I have fun like with the band when we get to do those kind of songs. You know, we did, uh, we had a night where, uh, Burr did the show and we did, we opened with Welcome to the Jungle and then we closed with Burr playing drums on Paradise City. And I mean, that was one of the funnest music nights of my life because, like, I mean, I'm obsessed to still to this day. Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction is the best record I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. Top to bottom. uh, Hands down. You know, and I used to live in a building with Steven Adler. And it was just like, this was like a building in Century City. It was a lot of old Jewish people. Like, uh, the guy from Get Smart lived in the building. Don Adams, you know, uh, you know, prostitutes lived in this building. Couple gay street hustlers. It was a wacky building, man. And then 
Steven Adler would be in the lobby like every morning with holes in his fucking sweatpants asking me for $10. And it's like, dude, you dropped on appetite, man. <laughs> what the fuck are you asking me for $10? Was this what he's still using back then? Probably. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, I mean, he. there was one night he was in the hallway naked running around going, Earl, they're in there, they're in there. And so I called the two black security guards. He's like, hey, he thinks two guys are in there or something. And there was no one in there. Didn't was he was at the comedy store recently? Uh, I've seen him. Uh, yeah, there was that show. Craig Gass had a show where like D. Snyder uh, uh, was uh, there. Uh, Jeff Pilson from Dawkin. Um, I actually did. Uh, I was in New York for a few months, uh, maybe like two years ago, and I was running my I was running my set for Montreal. Which you got, by the way. Which I got that year. So this is 2013. I did get it. I'm going back this year with with the goddamn Comedy Jam. I'm I've never been more nervous uh, and excited about the show because it's a lot. It's I give everything at the God. I really do. Like I by the next day, my voice is gone, and and I mean I I I mean I throw my body around. We we I stage dive. I crowd surf. It's it's crazy. Just what I've been able to do there and and live that rock star, you know, fa- fantasy basically. But um. Yeah, so we're going. We're doing six nights in Montreal, but this is this is 2013. So this is when I went for the first time, and I'm at the stand running my set because uh, I had the showcase like two days later in LA. And in the audience, I see there's this really annoying laugh, just really loud, like, <laughs> and I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? And I look over, and it's D. Snyder, and he came up to me after the show, and he was like, dude, you're fucking funny, man. That's great. And those are like little things, like you know, I was never a huge Twisted Sister fan, but. I do like the movie Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and the, you know he has one of the best cameos in it. So See you know, evil ones. You know, <laughs> I bring on me, a Baba Ski, Baba Doo. I love it. You're gonna burn in hell. Yeah, I mean they—that's another band that you know, you know, literally back then, one wrong decision could kill you, and uh, they did a cover. Uh, which I love, but you know, I have pretty bad taste in videos and music of uh, Leader of the Pack. Did they really? That old, I think it's, I, I, you'll probably know more than I, it's not a Shirelle song, but it's, it's like, you know, the leader of the pack, pack. and there, yeah. Yeah, I know the song. And the Bobcat Goldthway was in it, and Luke Perry must have been his first acting job ever. He played a student, and the, you know, it was a pretty long video, which, you know, back then they made like videos with stories, and uh, that killed him. There's no recovering from that, and then they did uh what year was this? This was like 85, late 85, and then they had an album come out in 87 that was just basically a D. Snyder solo album, but they called it Twisted Sister because the record company was like, uh-uh, we, you, know, you have to call it Twisted, call Sister. It Twisted so Sister. So it's just him, and uh, I think guys like Kip Winger was basically playing on it. And, uh, I Red, had Kip's album. I had oh, he's one. amazing. You get shit on a lot. Oh, that's the guy the, from Winger, but... Yeah, the only one I I mean it was it was he was a good looking dude. Amazing good looking, looking. Like too good looking. His whole album was I mean not that his whole album but his music video for 17 is just him like giving you fuck me eyes like the whole time playing the bass is like it's his dick, you know. <laughs> but he could play it though. Yeah, I mean he's not less Claypool though. I, I mean, mean I wouldn't say he's that, but he's more accomplished than you know he you know that band Winger musically. <laughs> We're talking about Winger. I know. Like. I'm telling you, I'm not. People are gonna probably stop listening after I say this. Bill Burr's listening to this, which he probably is, and he'll he'll probably punch me next time he sees me. Winger has musicians. You won't find four guys 
you know, the drummer, Rod Morgenstein, is like a jazz drummer. They just sold out. Red Beach is as good as any guitar player on the planet. But, you know, you look at how they looked, you know, and it was like, uh, you know, Kip Winger, you know, doing these ballet moves and like wearing these moose knuckle jeans. It's like, (laughs) this guy's not talented, but a lot of those guys from that era are. I don't doubt that they weren't. It's just like you could say that that death metal musicians aren't. They're ex, they're all extremely talented if you can play that fast. If you can solo on guitar, you know, like that. That's incredible. But it's just like people don't really even consider that because they're like, oh, it's the style of music. But it's also and the image of like, well, they're singing about death. Like, how are right. they that talented? But you know, Winger. I mean, that's you can't come back from that, man. Like, it's tough. They tried. He was right on that. He was right on the end. Right. He was like yeah. right. I mean, right 88, close. I think that might have come out the same, uh, maybe not the same year's appetite, but pretty close. And uh, just you had two sides to join. <laughs> and, you know, uh, those bands who came out like 88 to 90, you know, it was like everyone, you know, join the party now because it's ending soon. You know, what and, was that like when it was ending? Well, you never really thought it was going to end. You know, it was, uh, you know, it was just these bands were so big and, mul- I mean, you know, multiple nights at any arena in town. Uh, the videos were still being played. But then uh, I would say Guns N' Roses kind of like was the, the start. You know, Nirvana gets a little too much credit, but it was like Guns N' Roses was clearly like, okay, this isn't uh, like Cinderella's video for Night Songs. Um, you know, this isn't Bon Jovi's, you know, but Bon Jovi stuck around though. Well, they, you know, they had a lot of help uh, with Desmond Child, who is a songwriter I'm obsessed with because this guy's publishing a month must be in the millions. I mean, every Bon Jovi hit, every Aerosmith hit. He wrote their songs, uh, after the comeback. Uh, oh, yeah. so he wrote like a pump, uh, uh, everything from a permanent vacation on. He, wrote. oh, for Aerosmith, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. And, for some reason, I was talking about Bon Jovi. Well, he did, uh, most of their early hits were all his. So uh, he wrote, he wrote everything off of like, he wrote the and crazy, wet. amazing, uh, yeah, uh, Angel, crying. What It Takes. Yeah, uh, he wrote uh, every hit for Ricky Martin, which of course was a little later. Uh, you know his his uh, Joan Jett. He wrote a lot of her hits. Uh, so he he was. I, I'm telling you, I'm going to give this to you. you. Burn it or however you uh, do your thing. <laughs> Desmond Child's box set. If you don't get a boner on I- any one of the four discs, you, you know you need to call up the Bosley Institute. Or, <laughs> or that's the hair place. You need to call up the Cialis people because <laughs> your dick ain't working if Desmond Child don't get it hard. <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm a fan, definitely. Of uh, I like older, like the 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 much older Aerosmith. But I did like when they started creeping into when they when he started putting his daughter in the music videos. That yeah. was when I was like, all right, this man's pretty cool. Well, they were selling out. I mean, you know, even Kiss, you know, started writing with Desmond Child, and that was when they were like dressing up like B. Arthur. It was like, oh fuck, what? <laughs> you got to look up Kiss in the era, in their Asylum era. It See, I don't just, know about Kiss, man. Like that, I'm not a, I'm not a Kiss dude. No, no, it's all good. A lot of people aren't. Personally, I love Kiss in the mid '80s, from Vinnie Vincent's era, you know, where he's kicked out of the band three times in two years, but he was so good they kept bringing him back. And then he got kicked out of the Vinnie Vincent Invasion, which is like, got to be the greatest story in rock. I mean, your name is in the band, and then they form Slaughter, and you know he's left aside. And he wasn't in Slaughter. 
Vinnie Vincent? Basically, Slaughter was the Vinnie Vincent invasion, but they bailed Blas on Blas Elias? Yeah, you know, the dumbest guy I've ever met in my life. Great drummer, but I'm like, hey, man, good luck with the new album, man. I saw him at a Kiss concert. He's like, ugh. <laughs> like, I'm, that's all. I'm just saying good luck, man. I'm a fan. Where's the food? <laughs> He's like Jared Levin of The Rock. World. Oh, I love Jared. One of the early guests on Inappropriate Earl. Would have been a great podcast if he wouldn't have held the microphone by his ankle. <laughs> Literally, like where you are yeah. is great. You know, he's the wild guy. He's got the mic like down here. So, you know, I uh, we I've been doing a show with uh, Jeremiah Watkins and Avery Pearson at the Hollywood Improv. We got to get you on it because you'd be great for it. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because you know you're like, oh, I got a show. You got to do it. You got to do this one. You'd fucking annihilate the show. It's called the Midnight Snack. We do it every Saturday night at the Hollywood Improv. And uh, it used to, when I, before I took it over, it was like a quasi, like it was a bleed over show from the 10 o'clock. So we'd keep the audience right. and um, they'd have like a few open mic spots. So a lot of open micers would show up and when the audience would leave, it would just be stuck with open micers and then it turns into an open mic. And then I came on and actually started bringing like some really good comics with the help of Jamie Flam and Avery. And, and it's like, we've been able to really bring in big headliners to work out material and keep the audience and the open micers still show up thinking it's an open mic, but we only literally put one up. And the only person I ever put up is Jared Levin at the end. And I just, I always give him like a minute too long. Do you know what I mean? Like he's so like, I don't think, listen, I always say this. The same thing I said about Rick Glassman too. And I mean, I said, he's got so much confidence. He's got so much stage presence. As soon as he figures it out, he's going to be huge. And Rick, you know, was able to really hone what he does. And now he's got a set and now he's on television. Uh, Jared, the same thing. I'm like, dude, I was like, you're, he's so, dude, you got to admit for however crazy this kid is, like he's so confident, you know, or at least he's faking it well, uh, but he just doesn't care and he goes for it. And as soon as he figures out some material to go with that, oh, it's a wrap, man. I want him, if I ever make it in this business and whatever make it is, who knows, but. I will help him first because I want to see that guy with money. You can imagine the drugs and the women he would hang out with if he had money. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> she told me not to come in her. <laughs> so I came in her. <laughs> I mean, he's just, and he's like an MMA guy. Like you wouldn't think a little guy like that would be like, kick your ass. He, he can fight? Oh, yeah. He used to uh, practice with a couple UFC guys. And he held, you know, he was like, I don't know if he was trying to become a fighter, but like he's, that's why I never fight. A guy like that, you think, oh, I could take this guy. Kill me in one punch. So. I, I think you've got a little too much weight on him, though. Like you're yeah, but I have no far reflexes. bigger. I have no reflexes. I mean, it, I have, you know, my reaction time is not what it used to be. When's the last fight you've been in? Uh, I've never really been in a... St well, there was one night at the comedy store where we're doing a roast battle, and you know how it is in the patio. It's, you know, nutty afterwards. And uh, long story short, this creepy old guy was harassing Whitney. Uh, like Cummings? No, Whitney Rice. Okay. Uh, being very inappropriate with her, talking about coming on her, and he was... It was just like, who are you, dude? I mean, it, it takes a lot to stand out at the stores, creepy. Sure. And he was dressed as Charlie Chaplin. And, and I thought, oh, he's with Don Barris's, like, the Ding Dong show. Maybe they did a show earlier. And Don said, I don't know who this guy is. 
So I had to like rough him up a bit. I didn't. He was like seventy two, but so I, I, more just uh, like a manhandle, like just like maybe disheveled his clothing. A little I had bit. to like rough him up a bit, which I felt really embarrassed by because it's like here I am beating up this seventy year old dude, but he wouldn't stop harassing Whitney. So I I had to like verbally I I just dude you got to get out of here. You, you got to stop saying that stuff. And he's like, oh you like it too, buddy. And it was just like I, I I'm sorry, man. I got to do this for show. You know I got to like. You know, so I haven't been in a fist. I'm too scared to get sued, you know, because I think once, you know, if I get mad, I, I, uh, I could, I think I could hurt someone like anger. Are you the, you're the guy that, you know, it, it would, you, you never have been into a fight, but once, you know, somebody really pushed you to that limit, you'd start getting red and you just go, yeah, and you just like charge them. And yeah, I mean, I'm not very strong. I'm not as strong as I look. So, uh, but well, I, you look very strong though, because I know you work out and you, you supplement. Oh, I uh, supplement up the ass, yeah. but I'm I'm very weak minded. What do you Josh. bench? You mind me asking? I, I mean, you know, it backs out one rep. Oh, uh, now probably two fifty, which isn't much at all uh, for some of my size. But back in the day, and I've never done roids or anything. I I did two ninety five once. Very, I, I did it, but I looked like I was having a seizure. I mean, locked it out. Oh, absolutely. And I have long arms, so my, I don't have a good body for a bench, but I literally, my spine was in three different directions. Both feet are off the bench. You know, my, my, I'm holding my breath in. I mean, I, I'm surprised I didn't shit myself. <laughs> but I got it up, and then I'm like, all right. But now I just do cardio. You know? I, I, uh, I have a funny story, and this, is, this isn't, I don't know, it's about... <laughs> I, I'm a big Wizards fan. Washington. Yeah, and uh, Washington Wizards fan. I take a lot of supplements uh, for working out. Um, and they they just, they, and also, like, as I've gotten older, I started drinking a lot, uh, a lot better. Not drinking, but I mean, like, taking care of myself, the stuff I put in. Like, I drink a lot of fresh juice. I go to, like, those juicery places, get, like, wheatgrass and, you know, kombucha and shit like that. And I eat very clean. And But it just makes everything pass through me very quickly. And uh, I wake up in the morning and me and my, my girlfriend go to get breakfast and the Wizards Atlanta Hawks games on and we're up by 20. So I was like, oh, this is great and blah, blah, blah. So I go to drop her off and I'm listening to the game and it's getting close to the fourth quarter. And then it answers the fourth quarter as I finally drop her off and I'm driving back through Hollywood. And I noticed I was like the Hawks were starting to come back. And I, uh, I, uh, I'm like, well, let me pull over at this bar and watch the game. And so I pull over at Bledsoe's on La Brea and I'm watching the game with these two black guys, and we're we're down by I think uh, two, and then we, we tie it up. And next thing I know, uh, there's like ten seconds left, and the Wizards have the ball with the opportunity to win the game, and they give the ball to Paul Pierce. And the whole time, like I'm watching the game, I'm like, oh, my stomach's a little off. You know what I mean? I was just like, geez, I feel like I got to go to the bathroom. That that eggs and the bacon isn't agreeing with me. <laughs> and they pass the ball to Paul Pierce. The clock's going down eight, seven, six, and in the last second, he takes this three pointer. It goes in. I jump up to celebrate, and I full on shit in my pants. Really? In excitement, I just was like, ah, and just like went from cheering to like stopping, like, oh, and then just had to immediately go to the bathroom, lock the door. I was in there for like 45 minutes, and you know, had to throw my underwear out, which is just so, you know, I'm 35, dude, you know. That's it's the not, worst. It's I mean, like that's my rock and roll story. Just the wheatgrass made me shit. Well, yeah, there's tons of fiber and like, you know, I I pee a lot because of the vi I mean, mass amounts of vitamins and water and caffeine. I mean, that's the only drug I do is caffeine. 
Have you ever done drugs? Never. Not a drink or drug in my life. Never had a drink? No. Any particular reason? Oh, well, my mom bribed me. Uh, you know, I have two brothers, two sisters, and, uh, you know, they were all cool and still are. Uh, but, you know, some maybe dabbled in drinking and uh, other, uh, you know, pow- powdered substances. And uh, I think my mom looked at me as the last hope. It was like to have a, a clean kid. And uh, she's like, I'll, I'll buy you the car of your choice when you turn 18 if you don't drink or do drugs. And so she did. And uh, within reason, I'm not talking like a fucking slant nose you know, Lamborghini. Yeah, of course. A, a, BMW, a 318i BMW, which in 86 was a fucking, you know, uh, it would be like what a uh, Tesla is in this mm-hmm. day and age. And so after that, I was like, well, why, why start? So you know what else will you get me if I if I go to yeah, twenty right. twenty four? Well, I just remember her hand shaking when she wrote the check. You know, uh, Peter Cetera was at the table next to us buying a car, and you know this was right around when Karate Kid. Uh, what did he do? The song to Karate Kid. Yeah, uh, the glory uh, he, of love. He, yeah, yeah, damn, dude, you're good. Uh, and so I was like, oh my god, that's the guy from Karate Kid, and I saw my mom's hand literally like she was Muhammad Ali signing the check right now, and uh, so I was like, wow, this is great. Do you ever do you ever find when it comes with references like like I've made jokes about Glory of Love before on stage, uh, so it's funny that you bring that up. But it's like, have you ever had one? You, you, how many times like during a set do your references just get lost from ninety five percent of the audience, except for like one person that's like, oh, this motherfucker, this guy, like just gets it. You know what I'm saying? Every night, <laughs> because I want to be different. Like you know, I don't think a comic can be original anymore. It's like Everyone's going to talk about, you know, women, uh, you, you know, their upbringing. Uh, some will get into their opinions on like uh, Baltimore and the riots. And uh, so I figure uh, I'm going to get laughs based on the crowd digging the enthusiasm that I tell a Britney Fox joke on. You know, <laughs> no one knows who Britney Fox is. Which one was Britney Fox? They were like, well, the original guitar player from Cinderella. <laughs> was Michael Kelly Smith. Okay. He left Cinderella and uh, formed another band called Britney Fox. And I just, I do a King Cobra joke in my set. I don't even know who King Cobra is. King Cobra, they had the one hit on the Iron Eagle soundtrack, Never Say Die, with Louis Gossett Jr. in the video. And here's this guy who's this major Academy Award winning actor and his agent. What did he win for? Uh, Officer and a Gentleman, I think. That's true, you are right. I do know that's true. So I just, you know, and it ties in with the Bruce Jenner thing right now. The singer from King Cobra got a sex change. His name was Mark Free. Uh, amazing voice. I mean, if, if I played you a song of him and said, don't look at his picture, just listen to the voice, you'd be like, this guy's great. But uh, he was so embarrassed, I think, by the 80s metal genre. He literally was, he's, he's uh, Marcy Free now. Does he look good? I mean, like I said, I have fucked worse than Caitlyn Jenner. Much worse. So to me, he's passable. But he's a full-on woman now. Pussy and everything? Oh, tits, pussy. Uh, So I try and... uh, (laughs) You know, I figure no one's going to steal... Uh, a, a Britney Fox or a King Cobra joke. I, I, de- I can guarantee that. <laughs> but young crowds, definitely, I, I think they, I get the laughs on my enthusiasm. They may not know who uh, Vinnie Vincent is, but they see, you know, the, which is what I'm trying to go for. <laughs> which might be a mistake. I mean, hell, I auditioned for Montreal four times and didn't get it. So, you know, what do I know? 
that one year you're gonna drop that King Crowber joke, and that's that's the one that's gonna do it. The guy you thought the new Booker, and he'll be like, "Oh, that motherfucker." Jeff Singer from Montreal. Oh fuck, man, King Cobra. This guy's. <laughs> well, you can't really give him new faces at 47, but uh, let's just create a show that he can get. Well, you can still get on the festival if you. They just gotta, you know. Sometimes you just get passed for for new faces, but you just you just move forward. Like that happened with Jason Collins, Paul Verzi. I know a bunch of comics that never did new faces, but just got into Montreal. Yeah, I mean, I just you know, Montreal to me is like first of all, it's the hockey mecca. So I would just love to perform, you know, in that vibe because I, you know, but like, how did it change for you when you got it? Like, I I think. People, I know a few people who got it who thought they would be stars the next day. I mean, d- did you get like the, when you came back from Montreal? Was it like, do we getting offers, calls? I'm getting, I'm getting stuff now. Two years later, only because I've created something. That's it. Uh, the uh, I went and I yeah I had that attitude. Like I figured like this is my coming out party, you know, because a lot of people didn't know who I was, and um, so I did it. And, um, and I did well, you know, like it really upsets me. I I still like, like there, I remember like there's all these bloggers that wrote a bunch of shit about, um, about Montreal, like the, the, the new faces performances. And, and I killed man. I really did well. Like I had so many people that night come up to me and say, dude, you had the set of the night at both shows. You had the set of the night and every blog was about alt comics. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, do you remember like, well, it's did they, everybody was like Rick Glassman had a career making performance, and I followed him with no problem. Like I honestly, and I'm not taking anything away from Rick. What he Rick does is what Rick does. He's dude. He, what he does, he's great at. You know, and he fucking did well. And then I came up and did regular jokes and just crushed. And the next day, it was like Rick Glassman, uh, Aparna, fucking. You know, they were, it was every, you know, it's Sam Morrill who deserved it, uh, and, and a few others, but it was like, and then mentioned me, but it was like, really like kind of just got passed over. It's just like, yeah, it's just in this guy, you know what I mean? Um, and I think it's also has to do with a lot that I'm the exact opposite of an alt comic. I'm like the comedy of the eighties in the sense of like, or like not eighties, but you know, I'm like, a, I want to be like, I'm, I look up to Kinnison and right. Andrew Dice Clay and, you know, very alpha male comedians. And cause that's what I am. Like, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a nerd. I've never been a nerd. Like I'm not, and there's nothing against being a nerd. It's just that I've always been able to, you know, get women and, and, and <laughs> does that make sense? I don't want to come off sound like a fucking jerk, but it's like, do you know what I'm saying? No, it's not. like, there's just like, I walk on, it's like this, you take me and you take fucking some, you take like Josh Fadum or some other comedian, like, you know, or like an, an Alan Strickland Williams. And you put us up at meltdown. The meltdown audience is immediately going to identify with Alan before they identify with me. I even had people at Montreal. This woman came up to me and she goes, when you walked on stage and started talking, I said to myself, I'm going to hate this guy. And then a minute into it, I was laughing and in tears. She's like, you really just completely blew me away. Like, I just didn't expect it, you know, for that stuff to come out of you. And I expected a lot because I did so well. And then after the second day, it was starting to get, it started making me realize I was like, really nothing's going to happen because I started noticing that the comics that already had shit were getting, all the attention, you know, Santino, he knows how to work a room, man. Like he did great. Byron and DeStefano and, and, you know, even Esther, like she was getting, 
she's already with all the big agencies. It's not like it was, you know, how it was. I mean, and also what even pissed me off even more was that I had a shitty agent at the time and um, I didn't have any manager and I was expecting you to at least get better ones of each. You right. know what I mean? And, and nothing, man. Everybody was like, we, we love you. We just don't know what to do with you. You know what I mean? What else are you doing? And I was like, well, really nothing. I've just been working at stand-up because that's what I want to do. And they were like, well, come back at us when you got some more stuff. And so this all leads to the goddamn comedy jam, which is basically then I get back to... Dude, I remember... I remember here's a funny story. I, I was just talking to Fahim about this like two nights ago. Me and him are at the store. Uh, and we were talking about how in Montreal, he had to talk me off a ledge. Like, I remember it was like four in the morning. We're out front of the Hyatt, which is where everybody's staying. And I was just, he could just tell I was, something was wrong. He goes, dude, he's like, don't let this kill you. He goes, it's the same thing that happened to me, man. You get your expectations up too high and it doesn't live up to it because it doesn't do that for anybody anymore. The people that get shit after Montreal already had shit going prior to Montreal. Do you know what I mean? Dude, it killed me to go back to America and a year at the year anniversary of me going to Montreal, uh, three of the people, no three, four of the people had been on Saturday night live. Uh, every, every person has been on television besides me. Every single person I went to Montreal with has either been done a late night set, done some kind of acting work or something. They all have, I'm the only one that hasn't. And, um, and that was right around the time that I started the goddamn comedy jam because I just fucking gave up. I didn't know what to do anymore. I didn't create the goddamn comedy jam to get anything. I created it because I was like, I just want to have fun again. Right. And actually, after the death of Ange, I haven't really had fun in in Los Angeles. I've been completely, you know, in my own little my own little box where I just I can go out and I talk to people and I'm at, you know and I can be in in what seems like a good mood, but on the, on the inside, I've just been so like, eh. You know, it's just not the same. It's like taking away, you know, the the best part of, you know, taking away. It's like being able to eat food still, but the taste is gone. You know what I mean? It's like, well, what's the point? It's like, yeah, I'm getting full, but I'm not enjoying it. Um, and and that's what it's been like since Ange died. And and so um, I listened to him. He was the one that said to me, he goes, you should do you should do something with music, man. You really love it. You seem much happier when you're doing music because it's the truth. Like I. Stand-up comedy is just so hard. It's just judged, but the audience judge it. Just That's all it is. It's just They look at you, and they say, all right, this guy walks up. He's got glasses. He's got on a rock and roll shirt. You know what I mean? All right, you know, let's see what he has to say. Eh, but I don't like the, the, the way he did that, so I'm not going to laugh at him anymore. And, and on the other hand, music is just really, it's just enjoyed, where people are just like, all right, it's, it's a good song, this, and they just go for it. You know what I mean? Even if it's a shitty cover band or a comedian doing it, it doesn't make a difference. Music is just completely just, it's not broken down uh, so harshly. So I decided to start doing it. And now it's really funny because immediately it took off and, and immediately all the offers for festivals started coming in. And, and so now I'm excited because I get to go back to Montreal and my parents, and I'm telling you, Earl, my experience in 2013 was not good. Like, and I did well. I did so well. Like, on the second and third show, like, they put me last because they were like, no one could follow him. Like, it's like, it's just, I was just having so much fun. My mom was up there. Like, uh, it was great, man. Uh, and, and to be able to go back now and have the big agent, have the big manager, and not give and have the TV show already in the works or not really give a fuck. Like it's literally just us going up there just to show everybody how dope this fucking show is. 
for six nights and I have my band with me. I'm going to have Jeremiah. I'm going to have uh, Johnny Scortese. I'm going to have one of my producers. I'm going to have two of my friends from high school are flying up to to watch the show because Chappelle's going to do one of the shows there. So really? it's going to, yeah, it's going to be great, man. Dude, we're going to get everybody. Like I've been talking to the Montreal people. We're going to have Burr for most of it. Uh, we're going to have, you know, Burt Kreischer, fucking, you know, Neil Patrick Harris, uh, Jane Lynch, like people that like, it's going to be, it's going to be wild, man. And, uh, it's, it's exciting. It's like I said, it's scary because it's just, it's not the one at the lyric. Right. And that one is just, it's just so worked out. And we know, I know the space so well, but we, we I picked out a good venue and, and it's just going to be great. So it's, I think this experience is going to be far better. Far better because I don't I don't need anything from anybody anymore. That's the best. Yeah, you know what I mean. To be able to go back and just be like, you know what, fuck you guys. It's like I I did this all on my own. None of you helped, and I don't need your help anymore. But please give me money so I can quit my job at the strip club. Like that's that's what I want. But that's why I admire you so much, man. Because uh, it's like I mean, Rob Schneider gave me the best advice when he could tell I was disappointed at not getting things and. All that stuff. He's like, just become so good, they can't deny you. And that's what you did. I mean, and you got Montreal, and we're still experiencing, you know, frustration. And you just said, fuck it. I, I'm not, like, you know what it, what it is and what it really took me is that I'm not, I'm not so much a comic as I am a performer. Where I just, I don't really sit there and write jokes. And the idea of, of stand-up comedy, I love more than anything. But it's like, it's just, it got this is what I should be doing this show and doing stuff with music and working with the band. Cause I've been doing it my whole life. And, and it really, it's like, once I got to show people like Santino said it, Andrew Santino told me that he goes, dude, you created something that showcases what you're good at. And for that, like, that's where you're going to get everything because Montreal only showcased the material that I could write in six minutes. That was enjoyable for them. But it's like what I'm, what I'm good at. Isn't just the material. It's the whole like we, I got to do the Hollywood Improv. I got to headline it, which was incredible because uh, I can't believe people actually showed up for it. Uh, and it was almost sold out, like literally like five, six seats left. And me and the band did an hour and 20 minutes of music and comedy where I'd start with a song and then I'd do 10 minutes of jokes. And then that would lead into the next original song we wrote. And then we'd just go back and forth with that. And the audience loved it. And so that's kind of what I want to do. It's like a... I hate to say this; it sounds so cheesy, like a rock and roll, like Dean Martin. You know what I mean? Just yeah, like I'll be, true. I'll be playing Vegas in like you know, fifteen years at the Hard Rock. It's like, oh, it's every you know, you got, you gotta go to the Jam Show, and it's just like I'll have guests come out, and I'd be happy with that. Not living in Vegas, but you know, just being able to do. I think we all want this, man. We just want to fucking just be able to support ourselves off of our talent and what we've created. That's all I want. Like I've made it. When at the end of this month, it looks like I'm going to be able to quit the strip club, which I've been DJing at for six years, which literally is killing me. I have to go in a, you know, in like an hour to go there tonight, which I don't want to. Like, I do not want to. Even though I'm going to make a lot of money, I hate it more than life itself. When You'd rather I, go up and do a spot somewhere. I would love to. I'd love to do a spot. I would love to just do, I would love to just actually sit on my couch and just watch Netflix and anything besides work at the strip club. But. When I get to quit that job in the next few months, that's when I made it. Because then I'll, I'll have gotten out. Do you know what I mean? Like, that is, to me, going to be the biggest victory I've ever had in my life. Because I can't imagine working at a strip club. Uh, and you've had some beautiful women in your life. I have. Yes. Uh, and do. I, I still do okay. Uh, <laughs> I have yeah. a girlfriend now. but She's awesome. 
Yeah, Tess is fun, man. She's a she she fan, she finagled me into a relationship, and she helped me move, man. That was it. That was the she helped me literally showed up my house with boxes and uh, weed and 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 I was like, oh, maybe maybe I'm not just gonna keep fucking, or maybe I'll we'll go out to eat a few times, and then next thing I know, it's it's just evolved, and now we're in a full blown relationship. It's crazy. Oh, she's amazing, and. Uh... Like you don't meet many people. I met her at the comedy store, so you know, usually meet girls up there. Just, but she's actually well, this girl's actually nice. She's you know what? It's like it's she's young. She's twenty three and you know, she parties, she loves to party, but she's what I and when I first started hanging out with her, like it was strictly just like we're hooking up and um she was just like I didn't I never like looked down on her, but I was just like I took it for what it was. I was like, We're just hooking up. Right. And then when I really got to know her, I was like, wow, she's really a cool chick. You know what I'm saying? And, and now, and now I'm fucking in a full blown relationship, dude. Relationship. But like, do you become desensitized working at a strip club? Just like, just, I mean, you know, a pussy to me is like, uh, is it full nude? No, it's topless. Okay. Then that's not so bad. I mean, some of those strippers, uh, thingies down there look just like blown out. Pieces. Oh, I see it all though, dude. I go, I'm hanging out in the dressing room with the girls. Like I've seen, you know, we have some of the hottest of the hot and we have some of the nastiest like Mexican chicks you've ever seen in your life. You know what I mean? And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really, it's funny because like I'll, I'll work and then I'll get off work. Uh, you know, I get off late, like, you know, two, three in the morning, uh, and I'll get home around like three thirty four, and, and I'll walk in and, and my girl or any girl that I've either, if I've hooked up in the past is like, might call me and be like, Hey, let's hang out to hook up. Oh. And I'm just like, I'm so turned off. Like I'm so turned off from women. Cause I just, I'm with, I'm with some of the, just, just the shit that I see and the shit that they talk about. And like, what are they talking? And I know you probably don't want to give the name of the place out because you don't want the, no, it's fine. I work at, I work at dames and games in downtown LA. It's, it's a great venue. Like it's a really nice spot. I think I know a guy there. Who? I'll tell you off air. Okay, cool. No. Um, but it's 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 a really nice dude. I make a lot of money. Like I wouldn't give up a, a Friday night or a Thursday night unless I, the money was that dope. And I mean, I'm right on that cusp where I have I have some really great months through stand up where I take off a lot and you know, and I'm on the road. And but I always come back to this because it's just it's easy money, cash. You know, you're I mean? the DJ there. And the DJ. So you bring the girl. Do you now? Do the girls say, "Hey, can you bring me up to Motley Crue?" Or yeah, yeah, right. Not at my club. I well, wish. maybe I wish. Can you bring me up to Justin Bieber? It's not. It's it's all it's all the worst hip hop you've ever heard in your life. It's all Migos and Meek Mills and Rick Ross and Fetty Wap and Drake and which not all that's terrible, but it's just you know after you've been listening to it for seven and a half hours straight, like you want to kill yourself. And then I always, I always put on for the special songs. That's when I'll put on like "Lay It Down" or I'll play "Paradise City." Uh, I play um, sometimes. I play "Shout" from "By Tears for Fears." Oh, I love that. Uh, I play, um, I play uh, some. What is that band? Oh shit! Matt Sorum was in it. He was the he was the, the cult. cult. I play uh, mother, "Wildflower." Like I think that's what it's called, "Wildflower." Right. Uh, I play that one for the specials. Um, 
What do you mean the specials? The drink specials? No, or the no, two no, for it's one? like so. You know, so you'll do because you give the announcements like, "Hey guys, uh, you know, two for one." Yeah. And, uh, uh, so exactly. So I'll do. So <laughs> what you do is you run the stage. You know, so you run the stage for like a half hour, and then like as you, if you, as long as you have consistently girls on the couches doing lap dances, because we tally every dance up. So if a girl does twenty five dances at the end of the night, you know, we mark every dance, and then she tips us each. Me. And the door guy and the manager, she tips us each $25 each. So, you know, with 50 girls working, you can just do the math. Like, it's, yeah. you got to make sure these dances get counted. So, if girls aren't on the couches for more than one song, then I got to call a special to get the guys back there. So that was that's when I'll I'll be playing it, like ratchet hip hop all night, just like you know, bitch, nigga, fucking does on, but ba do, baba ski, baba drugs and shit, and then it's just like cut it off. I'm like, all right, y'all, let's get. You know what time it is, y'all? Buy two dances, get one free, and then it's just like rocket, <laughs> yeah, stand it. Like I'll put that shit on uh, right when you do the special, and and at the end of the night. We shut the stage down at 1.30, and so there, I have like 20 minutes from 1.30 to 1.50 where I can play whatever I want to. And I usually play, like, more, if I play rock, I'll play, like, uh, like, In Excess, like, Never Tear Us Apart, or I'll play, like, Sade or some shit like that that gets people still in the sex mood. Uh, and then usually for the last song of the night, you know, because like, in the last song of the night, we usually have, like, five, six, seven, eight girls down. For that last song, and I always put on like some really weird song that shouldn't be played at a strip club, like the Cha Cha Slide, or uh, you know I do like you know Hanson Umbop or like All Star by Smash Mouth, just something that really just so as they're back there, you know, grinding on a dick. uh, This song, you know, you know, Kiss from a Rose by Seal comes on, and uh, it just, it just, I don't know, man. It's just I. I'm, I'm literally dealing with all Mexican drug dealers and gangbangers back, you know, there. So let them listen to my music every once in a while. Now, do the strippers not like it when you play like a longer song, like Stairway to Heaven comes on? Then they, I would, I'm, it's like this, the, the man, since from the moment I walk in to the moment I leave, I'm busy and we have customers there. Like it's a pretty busy one. So, so I have, I don't have the opportunity to play like a full song. Um, so I've hardly ever at a nude club. If I ever worked at a nude club, I was able to play like the stairway to heaven. Like if you came and got a lap dance, like the best I could give you would be like a four minute lap dance. And even that, like I'd get flack for because the manager like times the songs. <laughs> but do guys come up to you and pay it's like, Hey man, play a long song. I'm trying to come. Uh, the, the dances at this club are pretty cheap. So they're what only $20. They? They're only $20 aside from like a nude clubs. It's 40. So, uh, for the $20 ones, I mean, I have guys that give me money, but it's usually just to play a song, but 90% of the time it's not to play it longer. It's just, yo, just play this new hip hop song or just play this one. Um, does this place have food? I'm always fascinated by, I mean, who on earth would want to eat after seeing some girls nasty fucking tune? It's a, it's a, uh, it's a sports bar with a strip club. That's the way it's advertised. And I mean, there's TVs everywhere. Like I'm gonna like we've got the the Cleveland Atlanta game tonight, which I'm glad because dude, I'll make oh that'll be packed. It'll probably. be packed when I walk in, especially the way the series has been going, um, which is great, man. And dude, it's just it's it's a party more than it's a strip club. Like it's I, the Thursday and Friday nights. I mean, there's like 300, 400 people there, and it's just we have 50, 60 girls, and I mean, listen, I'm. 
I hate it because it, it's not what I came out here to do. Right. And I've been doing it for so long. And, you know, when you're close to being able to leave, it's even worse. Like right now, it's like all I want to do is just quit. And I'm very like, I'm probably going to be this. I can probably count on my hand how many shifts I've got left. That's great, um, though. I'm very excited. I'll find out. I'll find out next Tuesday, a hundred percent. If the green light on the pilot is a go for the goddamn comedy jam, and if once I find that out, then I can quit. Because that's it. We start shooting the pilot like immediately. But on something like the pilot for a music show, do you have to have clearances for the songs? Is We've that got, the main stumbling thing? No, it's we. There's the, the budget has got that worked out. And we're gonna. We have a good music supervisor that deals with ASCAP and BMI, so it's not going to be that big of a deal. We're not going to be able to do the Beatles, you know what I mean? <laughs> but you'll be able to do like any of those bands that you've mentioned today, like Quiet Riot or or Night Ranger or fucking Billy Idol. Billy Idol. I, it's not going to cost that much money. And why wouldn't they want their song played on a t on a network oh, yeah. television show? It's only going to help them out. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Like they'll get they'll get more money than we're gonna give them. Now, from, who is in the band? My band. Yeah. Uh it's uh, it started. Well, it, there's 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 Elementop, which is two members. Is uh, Nick? Uh, I always get their names wrong. Their last names are both so complicated. Nick Liberator is the drummer, and Joel Ruktowski is the guitarist slash bassist slash Congo player slash whatever. Uh, we could do the show with just the two of them and me. Uh, because Joel's kind of like a multi-instrumentalist. I mean, that's a word in the way. That's why I'm <laughs> instrumentalist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Close enough. You know what I meant. Uh, he, but he does a lot of looping, like uh, Sufjan Stevens. He's just very, very talented. Uh, and we also have uh, Jay Golden on Flying V guitar. Um, but it's like a fiddle Flying V. Oh, it's damn. really cool, man. But he shreds, dude. Like shreds like it's kind of cheesy because it's very like booger presley from you know revenge of the nerds and the the flying v is strapped to his chest like it's the like it's that sword dildo from the movie seven you know what i mean Definitely the way it sticks it. out um a lot of people don't know about the seven dildo so i'm really happy you got the reference of course um but uh we got Jay, and then we have Chris Norton on keyboards, uh, who plays with Zappa, plays Zappa. So he's on, been on tour a lot, um, but luckily we've got him for the next few months. And uh, they they're all just friends, and and they're just great, man. They like we've had issues with with songs this month because Burr was supposed to do it, but he has to do rewrites on his show, so he has to drop out because he's out of town. Um, and we've had to like book, you know, we got Dane Cook coming in to replace them and, and Brent Moore and I had to add them literally with like two days to go and the band's just like, yeah, we got it. And they're just, they just, they pick it up so fast, man. If as long as I give them just like, they can learn a song in, in a couple hours. For example, uh, Eric Andre was supposed to, did the show on the second one and he, he picked a, a Bad Brain song. And when he showed up for the show, he started noticing everybody else doing these like epic ballads or power rock songs. And he was like, dude, I don't want to do that anymore. And this is like literally 20 minutes before he's about to go on stage. He's like, I want to do Kiss from a Rose by Seal. And I pull the band off and the band learned it. I mean, in five minutes, having never played it before, they played it for the first time live together with him singing it. And it was incredible. So they're, they're great, man. Great dudes that I, I've known for about seven years. Because who was the guy, you, when I used to see you at the Unknown Theater, Wild Bill, like you had some... Uh, oh, no, 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 that was... Um, Hitchcock or Hancock, something, uh, big mustache, yeah, great I know. player. That, that was, um, 
That was Sax. I no, it wasn't Sax. It was all right. So I don't know if you remember. His name was oh god, what was his fucking name? It was like a Wild Bill type. Because you had a show at the Unknown Theater with Angelo and I think yeah. uh, one or two other people. Sunday nights, I think. Yeah, it was it was originally Sarah Tiana's show and uh, Laura Valdivia, and then they stopped it, and then me and Sax Carr took it over. Um, it was I forget the guy's name. It was like Bill Hitchcock Hancock. Yeah, dude, it was something like that. He I met him. Uh, they they had a show called LOL Palooza at the Comedy Store that coincided with the Sunset Music Festival. Right, and they uh, they set it up where like Stephen was hosting and he wanted to come out at the beginning playing "Don't Stop Believing," and then like halfway as he's playing it on piano, that guy Wild Bill came out and like you know would shred it, and then they pulled a curtain down, and then I was playing drums in the background, so it was like basically a, a, a makeshift band to start it. And I just became friends with the dude and he was, he was super talented. Um, oh yeah. But, uh, I think he's, I don't know where he is now. Once MySpace went away and it switched yeah. to Facebook, I lost touch with a lot of people, man. No, he was really good. I remember I, I was on the show once and I just jokingly said, Hey, can you give me a little Steve Stevens rebel yell? And we went right into it. It's like, he was super talented, man. He was a great guitarist. No, I he, love any musician. I'm a fan of cause I can't play anything. So. Can't play anything. I wish I could, uh, but I'm just so... Uh, my friend who drums for Slash now tried to teach me the guitar, and this guy's in a super accomplished musician, and after 20 minutes, he's like, girl, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> Let's show you how dumb some people are. He used to work... This is like like your strip club story. He used to work at Johnny Guitars on Sunset. You know, he'd moved here from Winnipeg, and uh, he was like drumming for Vince Neil and the Bullet Boys, all these just, you know, but it's just so sad to see someone so talented just wasting away with these 80s guys. So he'd work there, it's like his day job, and uh, he's teaching me guitar, and I was horrible. And some stoner walks in and sits down next to me and goes, dude, I love your style. And I'm like, what style? I'm just like playing My Dog Has Fleas on a flamenco guitar. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> just I love it. See someone like you, someone like my buddy just work these crazy jobs and then get success in the business, man. It's because you're a good dude, man. Thank you, buddy. You Thank know, you. You've had a lot of fucking ups and downs with, you know, you know, Angelo. And, and I mean, you, you came close to dying. So I don't think, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, that there's that whole element and just, you know, losing your best friend. And like, you know, I mean, I still tell people he's like the fucking, sweetest nicest dude i ever met in my life I mean, Ange was Ange was the best it's been dude it's been a it's been a long ride i'm not saying i haven't been through more than other people but i think it's just just with you know everybody's been through shit but mine was just a lot of it was advertised you know what i mean yeah. like it was just out there because with with the car accident um yeah it's you know it's life man it's just fucking life you know, just gotta you gotta keep pushing you know and and if i would have given up Ange would have been upset. Yeah, yeah, no, he was still with all of us, and much more so with you. You know, I know he's looking down on you, and you know, I'm not trying to end the podcast on like a fucking. <laughs> I probably should have done this in the beginning, so we could like. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, he was just so, uh, just like it's undescribable how great of a person he was, and like, you know, just to see how far you've come from that, and you know, women problems, and like, you know. 
all that stuff. I mean, well, dude, we've all been through women problems. We yeah, but yours was once again more advertised because that you know you you were you and that other person were a popular uh, couple. You know, uh, so you know it's it's tough, even tougher. Would you for really you. call it a popular couple? I would. I mean, uh, I wanted to kill her one night at the comedy store, but you why? Know. Well, she went on like before me. She somehow weaseled her way on the the show I was on, and this is a couple of years ago. And there's three people in the room, and you know it's a tough that the OR is. I think it's the toughest room in the country. Uh-huh. I mean, I've seen a the A of the A level comics bomb in that room. So, uh, so she does her set or whatever you want to call it, and she goes to sit down next to the three fucking crowd members. And they're like, "What are you doing?" It's like. You know, you know they're going to talk to you. I'm up here, you know, telling, but you know, and it's just like, really, come on. I know you're a hot chick and all, but like, well, it was Tommy. Tommy, I remember she did. She showed up, did the open mic, and Tommy like made a beeline out of the booth oh, and I ran bet. up to her and was like, you know, I want you to keep coming here. He's like, you're really funny. You know what I mean? I really see something in you. Oh, I bet he saw two things on her. Yeah, of course, but. Dude, that killed me, too. I remember when she told me that. She's like, yeah, Tommy wants me to start calling in my avails for development spots. I was like, and I hadn't even been past to that yet. I was so livid, dude. Well, I mean, it's hard. Like, you know, in theory, you're supposed to be happy for someone. Oh, that's cool. Good job, honey. But, like, you know, you and I had the same struggle with that fucking dude where it's like, wait a minute. You just passed the guy who gave you weed. Uh, You know, you're killing it. I've never seen you bomb. Mm-hmm. which is pretty like rare to say like you know i've never seen someone bomb that i've known for 10 years you know sure you, i mean I'm, i bomb i mean we all bomb we all bomb we, we all bomb but I i've just, never seen it you know and i've seen you perform you know who knows how many times uh i handle it well i think that's kind of why i think i am bombing but i just handle it very you have a great stage presence you have a great like a, a david lee roth style confidence it's, it's all confidence dude it's all my my whole shtick is 90 percent confidence uh, 10% shitty material that I've been working on for seven years. See, I'm the opposite. I'm 90% shitty material, 10% confidence that You're I can genius, work it. Dude. It's your, I, when, 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 when I found out you were one of the fir- first people getting past uh, post Tommy, I, it made me so fucking happy. I think it made a lot of people happy. Because I you mean, deserve it. You're, 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 dude. Like when the comedy store is, is, is destroyed and we're all dead and gone, you'll be remembered there I'll, I'll be one of the mount rushmore of uh Definitely, well man. you know it's just like and i don't want to talk about tommy because you know I'll, I'll say this uh i don't think it's any accident that no management company talent agent or another comedy club reached out to him oh my god he was the worst he was the worst guy in the world and it also says and i was i was talking to somebody about this it's like you know, the fact that, that he stayed there that long at the comedy store really says a lot about the shores, like nothing to shit on them or anything like that. But it wasn't until he started stealing from them, knowing this guy is like a complete and utter racist. Do you know what I mean? It's like the guy is like openly like saying the N word around about black comics. And, and they're just like, no, he's fine. He's, you know, he, he picked he picked Whitney. You know what I mean? Like Whitney. But he really Whitney. didn't. I mean, you know, that's the thing. He tells people that he discovered Whitney and D'Elia. And they were going to make it with or without him. It's not like, you know, it's like someone taking credit for you. You were, you were or are, or whatever the right word is, going to make it with or without, you know. You just have a pit bull mentality of, you know, no one can take credit for that. And, 
you know, he was, instead of passing, I won't say me, but passing guys like you or Jason Tebow, uh, you know, or, or Candace, you know, uh, he was literally passing people who gave him weed or studio time <laughs> and yeah. giving them good spots. It wouldn't, I, you could almost sell it to me like, okay, this guy's giving me weed. I'll put him on last. Who did he pass that gave him weed? You know, I, I don't want to mention names, but, uh, uh, you, you know, I'll tell you off air, okay. uh, cause I'm still friends with the guy, <laughs> but you know, it was like. He would literally put this dude on the main room Saturday night before like Sam Tripoli, before like some, you know, a guy who gave him studio time, he would put on once again in the OR ahead of like, you know, great comics. So I, I, you can almost say, okay, he's putting them on last on a Tuesday night. You know, what harm does that do? But uh, he was just an awful. He was person. giving them crazy good stage time. So yeah. you know, and and you know, I, I wasn't a fan. But I think guys like you and I, our opinions on him get dismissed because it's oh, you're just bitter he didn't pass you. Well, I'm disappointed. I would have much rather been passed by by Tommy than by Adam. Uh, nothing against Adam whatsoever, but just I wanted that, and I don't think I was ever really close. I think he was stringing me along completely, where it was. You know, the comedy store has always been the one club that really dicked me around. Improv's always given me so much love. And the Laugh Factory, I just know where I stand, where it's like I call on the veils. I might get one show a month, if that, if once every other month, definitely. But if I, like, need a spot at the Laugh Factory, like, I'm like, I got to run a set seven minutes, they'll give it to me. You know what I mean? Um, the comedy store, I just, I've never, and I think that's kind of why, like, I do... I love what the comedy store represents in comedy. I love some of the people there. And at the same time, I hate that place more than any place I've ever been to in my life. Well, I understand. I mean, that's how I used to feel when Tommy was there. I mean, but I'll say this about Adam and, and my opinion on Adam almost gets discounted because it's like, oh, well, you guys are friends. But uh, he will tell you where you stand. Like, he won't encourage you. Uh, he'll say, hey, this is the deal. I'm not saying you. I just mean, you know, anyone. And... uh you know, even like uh, before he, you know, passed me, he's like, "Hey, man, I I got to showcase you, and it's if you, if you're not up to snuff, you know, I you know, we're buds, but I can't pass you, like just because we're buds, and uh, you know, uh, and he tells certain comics, "Hey, you're not my thing, I'm sorry," but he, t you know, Tommy would like, you know, encourage you, even though he had no chance, uh, or you had no chance of getting passed by him. Uh, you know, he would never have passed Candace, a black female, uh, no way. He was sending her to La Jolla. But, I Dude, mean... he never... Tommy never once sent me to La Jolla. Like, never once sent me to La Jolla. Even after Brett Ernst went up to him and said, hey, I want to take Josh, he said no. That's Yeah, he did the same thing with me where uh, Dean Del Rey was headlining the weekend and Dean was very nice. Yeah, yeah, Earl, the rock and roll, all that stuff. And he's like, well, he can do Friday. <laughs> like, I literally went to La Jolla for Friday. <laughs> it's like, and then, you know, it's just like... But, you know, I, I mean, if I do feel good about what happened to him, it's no one's reached out to him from the entertainment business. And that says it all. Sure. Like, I think if Adam leaves the comedy store tomorrow. Oh, he's got every, but, but Adam's a good guy. Like, I've, I love Adam. Like, you know. But he'll have job offers from the Improv, Laugh Factory, Hermosa, uh, you know, uh, Three Arts. Uh, you know, he could name his, uh, you know. Uh, are they already approaching him kind of oh, i don't well i don't know that but i mean i i think that uh you know his reputation is you know you'd think tommy worked at the comedy store for 10 fucking years in the most powerful position and one of the most powerful positions and 
you think he would have built some kind of relationships with people. So, sure. uh, but you know, you know, we didn't need him. You're killing it. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm killing it, but I'm doing better. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, you know, making progress for once. And, uh, you know, this is the part of the show, JMO, where I tell my loyal fans where to jump on the JMO train. <laughs> Twitter, where do the people find you? At Josh Adam Myers. Last name spelled M-E-Y-E-R-S. My website is joshadammyers.com. Instagram, all that bullshit. Look up uh, the goddamn Comedy Jam uh, on Instagram. It's the GD Comedy Jam. And I think the same thing on Twitter as well. But keep you up to date with all the lineups and uh, a lot of big things coming. We're going on tour with it. Uh, So uh, check my website and my Twitter and I'll tell you all the shows. Truly one of my favorite episodes ever, guys. This guy's, uh, even though we don't see each other a ton, I, I consider you a dear friend. And, uh, you know, that's what I don't like about comedy. You know, you get in different circuits and, mm-hmm. you know, you, not grow apart, but, you know, you wish you saw people more uh, than you do. But, uh, you know, that's what happens when you're busy. And uh, so please follow Josh Adam Myers. He's just an amazing dude and a great story. And uh, he's lived a full life. Full. <laughs> and as full as you can get. So uh, jump on his train. Watch for him at Montreal this year. Six sold-out shows. It's going to be fun. And, uh, you know, become a fan of his. Uh, you know this is inappropriate, Earl. SoundCloud and iTunes. Leave a bad review if you want. I just want the numbers, to be honest with you. Uh, and uh, watch co-hosting uh, with Rowdy Roddy Piper on his uh, podcast, Piper's Pit, Podcast One Network, and... Uh, Guest hosting for Tom Green when he's not in town. Tom Green Live, Web of Vision, Earl Skakel over and out. We'll see you next week. I'll try and get the drummer from uh, Bang Tango. I know he's uh, working at Home Depot now. See ya. Been a brain